Okay, so tonight we're going to be hopefully finishing our uh, Shovavim series. Uh, if we uh, can't get through all of it, then we'll discuss maybe one more time. But I'd like to hopefully get through everything tonight. Uh, the Shia should, as always, be as a zechut uh, for everyone in Klai Yisrael that needs it. The uh, the Chayalim, uh, the Cholim, uh, anybody who needs a specific Yeshua uh, should be a zechut for uh, for everyone who needs it. Uh, before we begin tonight, does anyone have any questions on the last, the, the first two shearing we had? Just... Okay. But, uh, okay, no, great. So, tonight, we're going to be going through first chapter 5, and then chapter 3. Um, last, the, the first year, the reader, we were talking about Vestot, and how to calculate um, when uh, a woman would be expecting her next period. Uh, chapter, then we went, uh, the second year, we went through 1, 2, and 4. 1 and 2 were how a woman becomes Nida, and the laws of staining and Ketamim. And then chapter 4 being the laws of the Zayin and the process of getting towards uh, Tevila and Tahara. Uh, so tonight we're going to start with chapter 5, which is Tevila. We're going to not go through it uh, so intensely since everyone in this room is of the male persuasion. Um, and therefore a lot of these things don't necessarily apply to us, but it's just a good thing to review them and, and, and know them. Uh, and then we'll finish tonight with chapter 3, being the Har HaKot, the different separations and things that are uh, applicable during the time that a woman is Nida. Uh, again, I'll reiterate, as we did the last two times, that uh, this year is going to use uh, scientific and anatomical terminology. So if you don't want to hear things like that, then I suggest tuning out now. Um, and with that, we'll go with, we'll start with uh, chapter 5. So... When a woman finishes the Zion Akim, or really on the last day of the, the Zion Akim, the, meaning the, that, that night she's going to be going to the Mikveh. So the proper time for the Tevila is going to be after the Kochavim, right, on the eighth night. So there's seven full days of the, uh, the Zion Akim, and then on the night following the last of those seven days, that's when she's going to go to the Mikveh. It should be after Tzedek Ochavim. If she goes during Be'anish uh, that, that, you know that technically counts. Uh, in fact, Rav Avadia says that on Shabbat, if she has to go on Friday night, it's better uh, for her to go during Be'anish Mashot because most of the time they keep the, uh, the Mikveh out warm. And uh, you know, immersing in warm water on Shabbat is uh, a, a, a fairly large problem, uh, and um, going to the mikveh during Ben Hashashot is not so big a deal, because technically, if a woman's nida, she could go to the mikveh on the seventh day, and as long as she doesn't continue bleeding, uh, then, you know, come nightfall, she's, uh, she's Torah, so it's not a problem. So if she goes doing Bein HaShoshot, it could be it's already the next day, which is great, because she goes to the Mikveh and it's fine. And even if it's still considered the previous day, as long as she gets home after Tzedek Kochalim, it's also not a big deal. Um, in many communities, the Mikveh order opened uh, just a couple minutes, uh, uh, in the Sephardic community, I should say specifically, the Mikveh order opened uh, just a couple minutes after Shkia, and women do all their preparations at home, and then go to the Mikveh uh, at, at that time. Um, 
in a lot of Ashkenazi communities, they wait about an hour or so after Shkia uh, to, to open uh, the mikvah ot on Friday night. Uh, during the, the you know a weeknight, that's not a problem. But for Shabbat, for Sfaradim, uh, it's not a problem to do that. But it's not necessarily the chachila. Um, many mikvah ot though in out of town communities, not necessarily in Lakewood. Um, or in like the Ashkenazi parts of Brooklyn or Muncie, but in uh, Deal um, or other mikvah old, if you talk to the the, the rav who runs the mikvah uh, before Shabbat, a lot of times they can make um, they can get someone there at the right time. I know I've called for people uh, in different situations and have said, "Hey, look, I got a Sephardic person that I need to go Friday night, and can you have someone?" open the mikvah five minutes after Shkia, so that way they can just, you know, go right then and then come home. And I've never had a problem with it. Um, I have instances of, they go the mikvah before Shkia. So there is a, there is a shita, and this is Rav Moshe, who says something like this, that um, she can drive to the mikvah before Shabbat, immerse uh, before Shabbat, and then uh, make sure she gets home after Tzedek Ochavim. It's not... The most lechatchila shita, and if you don't have to do anything like that, um, it's better not to. Um, and if you're in some sort of situation where that's not really uh, an option, and that's the only option, then obviously you know call her up and, and discuss it. Um, it might be something to you know rely on like a one-off, but it's not something to to go on you know every uh, you know, every single time. Um, but again, that's only a Friday night or a um, out of Yom Tov issue, it's not going to, it's not, it, does, it doesn't matter, you know, multi Shabbat through, uh, you know, through Thursday night, multi Shabbat, they're not going to open till after Shabbat's over anyway. Right. And uh, the other nights they open. And happens if it's somebody too far for the mikveh. Right, if they're too far for the mikveh, or, or, or there's different, there's different reasons. Call her up and ask if there's going to be an issue. Um, preferably not an hour before Shkia. <laughs> it should right, be preferably, right, right. you know, a day or two before. Right. Uh, when you're in the Zayin Nikim, you kind of already know when the mikvah is supposed to happen. So, uh, you, you know, it's definitely recommended to call you know, the sooner the better. Um, but there, there's there's wiggle room in some of these things. Um, now, in order to get ready for the tefillah, we're just going to go through this process briefly. There's a process called the chafifa, or people might know it as a chafifa. Um, but basically what that is the, is the time a woman takes to clean herself from any chatzito, any kind of, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, separation? Any kind of separation or... or um, uh, Maybe nuts in the hair, no? It's nuts in the hair, uh, you know, like very hard scabs, it, it's things, you know, that are... Sticker, makeup, or nail polish, or things that are stuck to the body. Um, so that would contact lens. contact lens should be taken out. Ideally, um, if they can't for whatever reason, call a postic about it. Um, but so when a woman immerses, yes, she closes her eyes typically, but you're not supposed to close them too tight. Or open them very wide, and the reason being is that the water doesn't have to reach every place in the body, but it has to have the ability to do so. So even though it doesn't have to touch the eyes, it's like the eyeball itself, 
it still has to have that ability. With the contact lens on, especially one that's, you know, if the contact lenses are disposable or ones that are, you know, they t they're not left on there for days or at a time, then it would be considered a, a separation, it would be a chatzitza or potentially a chatzitza. And it, it, right, so most people replace it every day and that would be, that would be a problem. I would, you know, in most cases, I would say wear glasses to the mikvah or bring glasses along, um, take the contact lenses off at the mikvah and just wear the glasses to the, the actual, you know, from the, the preparation room to the, uh, uh, what you call it, to the, the, the actual, uh, the bore, the, the, the mikvah itself. So braces wouldn't be a problem, Invisalign would be, because Invisalign you can take off. Invisalign would be a separation. You don't have to, the mouth doesn't have to be open, but again, it, it has to be able to reach all the places in the body that are potentially openable. So, like, she has to brush her teeth and make sure to floss. She has to uh, make sure that, you know, there's no adhesions on the body, you know, stickers or glitter or whatever else. You know, a woman who's a kindergarten teacher, you know, and they're playing with glitter all day. That's, like, the worst thing. Right? Gl gl glitter's evil. And I'm going to just, you know, throw that out there. Um, not, not as a halakhic thing, but... I, the person who invented glitter is a, is a genius. Uh, no, he's a he's an absolutely terrible individual. Uh, but anyway, um, glitter in terms of chitzitza is it's it's not fun. Um, you know, don't don't play with glitter the day before. You know, you, you, the, the, the day before or the, the day before a woman's gonna go to the mikvah. Don't play with glitter. Shouldn't also make dough because dough is very sticky, can get stuck under the fingernails or. or you know, if it dries and cakes on the hand, you have to scrub it off. You don't want to have to be dealing with these things. So it's not just a matter of preparation. It's, it's using seichel to, to know, like, don't do anything that's going to cause a potential problem. Don't, uh, you know, if she's an artist, you know, maybe do watercolors that day and not, you know, acrylic paint. Um, you know, or, or don't paint that day. Um, stains on the hand, if let's say, like, a, you know, a, a marker. Or you have a pen mark on the hand, right? Something like that. So if that's it's in the skin, right? As long as if you can wash it away, so you have to wash it away. But whatever's stuck in the skin, that's you know just like the pigment that's still there, you know, the, the little bit of residue, that's not a problem. Um, fingernails should be uh, should be cut. Uh, nail polish should be removed. Ravadia does say that if uh, a woman immerses, like if, let's say she did her nails that day and then got the nail polish done a couple hours before the mikvah, like let's say she got her nails done before, the, you know, in order to, to you know, to, to go to the mikvah. A lot of women do that. They go get the manicure, pedicure, and, you know, make sure, you know, the person who's in there takes out all the gunk in between the things and cuts the cuticles and everything else. Let's say, but they got their, they are, but they, uh, you know, they, 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 but they got their nails painted also. So Ravadia says that that's not a chatzita, it's not a chatchila, but because the woman wants it to be there, right, she wants the nail polish, she wants it to, you know, to, to look good, and she doesn't want to remove it the next day, um, or, or anytime soon, she wants it to be there for the next couple of weeks or whatever it is, um, so that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a problem. Most postkim don't go like that, so many mikvahot will, t you know, I'll just kind of remind you, you know, to take the nail polish off. Um, there are certain mikvot I've heard of that, like, won't let a person immerse if she has her nails done or things like that. So you have to know where you are. But I don't know if any mikvah um, in the more out-of-town mikvahs that are, that are going to do that. Um, but 
the point of all this is, is to basically say a woman's going to be spending an hour or so between showering, shaving, uh, plucking, cleaning, this, that, the other thing in order to get ready to go to the mikvah. So it's not something that men can help with. The only thing that I advise you know people to do is encourage your wife, give her the space, don't rush. Right? Let's say she starts late. Her mikvah appointment's at eight o'clock. And she started, you know, her she started her, her bath or shower or whatever it was at 7:30. And she's gonna be in a half hour late to her appointment. They're not gonna turn her away. Right? Okay, she might be late. It might be a five dollar late fee. Right? Don't it, it's worth the five dollars. Right? To give her the peace of mind. Don't rush her. Don't tell her the time. Don't tell her what to do. Just let her be, let her do her thing, and let her go to the mikvah. It's a hard enough process. It's a hard enough process as it is. So just let let them do what they need to do. Um, if there's any questions as to what a chatzitza is, um, most women have dealt with this in college classes for at least one or two sessions. So I, I'm not going to go through all of them here. Um, jewelry would be a chatzitza, earrings, you know, things like that. Um, as well, but uh, this is not you know the time or audience that really needs to know all these things. Um, but if there's ever a question, obviously ask your uh, ask your posik. Um, and then uh, one other thing is many Ashkenazi kala teachers will tell a kala that after she gets out of the mikvah, she she can't shower. Right? She has to you know go home with the you know the mikvah water still on her basically. The general Sephardic position is that's not required. Um, if she wants to shower uh, at the mikvah, she could do so. Um, once she went to the mikvah, it's fine. She doesn't need to keep, you know, do anything else. She's, you know, the, the washing off the water is not going to make her tamay again. So if she wants to take a shower there, if she wants to bring, you know, her her shampoo and whatnot home. So uh, I'm not entirely sure what the. Uh, what the um, uh, they they basically it, it's kind of I think it's more along the lines of a you know you don't want to um the inner of mind should win but it's not the end of the No, it's not the end of the there's no, there's no real issue with it. Even Ashkenazim are going to be lenient for a woman who's used to showering, you know, every day. And, you know, if she goes to the pool and she immediately showers afterward because of the chlorine or bromine, whatever is in there, no, no, no one Ashkenazim is going to tell her she can't take a shower. I think they're just more stringent to say, wait till the next day, wait till later, wait till uh, she gets home and, 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 you know, sees her husband because, you know... While uh, could be something to do with while the mikvah water is still on her, uh, whatever it is. Um, I, I think it's more. I think it's more. Of, yeah, I think it's more of a spiritual thing. Um, but she, in any event, we're we're not machmir on it. Um, so if she uh, if she was told that she can't, um, and she wants to, or she complains about it, um, you can tell her it's absolutely fine, and go ahead and you know you can take a shower at the mikvah, bring your uh, whatever shampoo you want. Um, and you know, wash up. That's fine. Um, any other questions regarding the tevila before we go into uh, our main topic for tonight?
How about any questions? Anybody else has questions? Is it uh, does she need to ask to do to be done if it's uh, coming on Friday night before dinner or after dinner? It also depends also on if it's it's a winter or summer. You know what I mean? So on if Friday. So on Friday night it's going to be a different time because Friday. So if you can, and if you know it's going to be a Friday night, and most mikvahs in most towns, unless you're in a Sephardic neighborhood, are going to open up roughly forty minutes, an hour after Shkia. You could call the mikvah or the Rav who supervises the mikvah, here in Lower Marion, you can call Ravish Vidman, I've done this myself, to, to call him for somebody else, and I said, you know, I, I have someone who, who wants to go on Friday, or needs to go on Friday, but they don't want to go an hour after, after Shkia, they want to go five minutes after Shkia. Um, and he didn't have a problem with it. They set it up, someone was there. Um, Is it preferably, preferably for Yes, Ravadi says it's preferable to go during Banish Mashot on, on Friday. So, in terms of should she go before or after eating, um, definitely before, um, because if, especially if it's a, you know if it's Shabbat, if you eat, then you can't floss or brush your you know brushing your teeth is a problem. So either I would say either delay dinner um, if possible, um, and also call call whoever runs the mikvah because most of the time, you know. They'll, uh, you know, you, you can explain things to them, and, and they'll they'll work with you. Um, and if anyone needs me to call whoever runs the mikvah, I'm more than happy to do so. Instead, um, I've done it before um, in different places. Um, but yeah, Friday 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 night's going to be uh, more of a challenge. The bigger challenge is going to be if you know if she has to go on Friday night, but let's say Thursday was, uh, you know, Thursday night and Friday was Yom Tov. So she, now she's going, you know, uh, in, in the, the second day of a two-day Yom Tov. Or, you know, if she has to go Sunday night, but Friday was Shabbat, and then Saturday night is uh, Yom Tov, and now she's going in the third day of a three-day Yom Tov. So that's where it gets a lot more complicated. And if you have any questions there, the wife has any questions, uh, the college teachers know what they're doing there. Um, and, it, you know, they can always ask their, their college teacher or their, their representative in town, but... Um, your postic's a good person to ask too. Um, they can definitely help you in that regard. Um, but but for the most most of the time, um, on Friday night, it's not going to be a big deal. Just um, in the in the winter, for sure, you could postpone your meal. Um, in the summer, you run into issues if you're going to make early Shabbat and the mikvah doesn't open till you know however long. That's uh, eating beforehand is definitely not going to be lechachila. Um, so if, if you run into that that sort of situation, um, call her off. Um, and they'll guide you through that. Um, okay. So now let's go back to chapter three, which is the last chapter we're going to be discussing in this, uh, in this series, which is on the harchakot, the separation during the Nida period. So as we've said before, uh, a man who has sexual relations with a woman while she's nida, um, wife or not, um, is liable to the punishment of karet, and it's a biblical prohibition. 
Now, besides the prohibition of actually having relations during the days of Nidah, there's also a prohibition of having physical contact. Any type of physical contact, hugging, kissing, holding hands, uh, poking, you name it, whatever. Uh, all of those are going to be uh, prohibited as well. But most of those are only going to be in Isur de Rabbanat. Right? The Isur de Raita, according to everybody, is actual sexual relations. The Rambam also says that Chibuk Venishuk, hugging and kissing, is also an Isur de Raita. Most poskim do not go like the Rambam. That doesn't mean that because it's an Isur de Rabbanan that you can just, you know, be like, ah, eh, well, I'm not going to, you know, not going to engage in relations, but like I can hug and kiss. No. The 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 the, the still there. It's still an, an isur. It's just not you know an isur right and it's not a chayav karet. But it's you know the rabbanan isur is still an isur. And in many cases, uh, there are a lot of poskim that say anyone who violates the rabbanan is also violating a deraita because there's a deraita mitzvah to listen to the chachamim. Uh, it's not entirely uh, a unanimous uh, opinion, but it is a very uh, standard one. Now. We so there are many things that are prohibited when a when one's wife is nida. So obviously, any form of physical contact, we just said, is aser. Sleeping in the same bed is also aser, even if you have your clothes on, um, even if you have you know each of you has your own blanket and pillows and. Uh, it's you have an Alaskan king bed that's nine feet by nine feet, and one of you is on one side, and one of you is on the other, and there's four feet in the middle. Mm, doesn't matter. Um, so most people, in order to get around this, either have two beds, um, and they move them, you know, uh, separate them when. Uh, the woman sitting down, put them together. Uh, What's the distance that needs to be? So the distance, it should be about an ama. An ama is about 18, 19 inches. Uh, so it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be on one side of the room and you're on the other side of the room and there's 8 feet of distance between you. It doesn't have to be that far. What? Inches? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Um... I know uh, Ruvadia basically says it's, it's an amma is the chachila. An amma for us is about 19 inches, 18, 19 inches. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. Uh, it's a foot and a half, it's not that much. And the width of a human body oftentimes is, uh, you know, longer than, or is wider than 18, 19 inches. It's not really that big a deal. But Ruvadia does say that let's say you're a guest at somebody's house. And, you know, their guest room is very small. There's two beds in there, but it's a small guest room. So, he says... You have one queen and a twin. Right, a queen and... Whatever it is. It could be two twins. Whatever it is. But, the, yeah. you know, the, the, the wall is... Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's only, let's you know, say, like eight talk, feet. Uh, we're talking about the, the distance between two beds. Yeah. yeah. It has to be two different separate beds. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. So, but let's say, you know... So yeah, no, I, I, I've heard this before. I don't know where this comes from. People have told me, yeah, no, I was told that 
uh, it, it could be the same bed as long as there's like a divider in the middle. Yeah. Or I was told that you know uh, you could get like a, a king size frame and just put two twin mattresses in there, and you're each you're on a separate bed. Like, no, we're, we're not we're not playing games like that. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know anybody uh, who, who who says that's a lichachila option. Um, no, you don't have to be in separate rooms. Why not? No, we don't have to be in separate rooms. Look, if if, if, if that's a, that's a personal decision. You and your wife, you decide that most of the time you like sleeping in separate rooms. Whatever, that's on you. Telling you, the karalacha here is about eighteen, nineteen inches. But if you're somewhere, let's say the you know there's two twins in the room, but the room's only eight feet wide. And so each twin is six, uh, is 39 inches, so that's three feet and three inches, so that takes up six and a half feet. So there's only a foot and a half in the middle. You don't necessarily put the, you know, the, you don't have, so in such a situation where you only have this much space between the beds, so as long as it's a tefach, which is about three, four inches, a little over three inches, according to Rabbi Chaim Naev, four inches to the, to the, the Chazanish, um, it's eight centimeters, eight centimeters versus ten centimeters. Um, but as long as you have that amount of space, it's enough space that the two blankets basically could fall to the sides of the bed and they won't touch. And as long as you have that, that's the absolute bare minimum. Um, and if you're somewhere where that's the only option, or you're at a tiny apartment and you know your room is only seven feet by however many feet, and that, you know that's where your beds go, and you only have that much space. So then as long as you have like three, four inches in between the beds, that, that's enough. Again, if you can get a foot and a half, it's better. But, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it has to be separate beds. Now there are other things that um, we'll see here. There's also... Um, in, in the Archicot, there's a lot of differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim, um, which is why I wanted to get this class in before Rabbi Light's class next week, so that way if anyone who's going to, to, to that can know, you know, he might say something where it's not as applicable to us. So, um, something like, you can't pass something to your wife directly, hand-to-hand, uh, but Ramavadya says that technically you could throw an object to your wife. So let's say your wife forgot her car keys on the table and she's about to go out to, to work or the grocery store or whatever. You can t- pick up the car keys and throw them to her. Right? Ashkenazim won't say that's not okay. Uh, but for us, we say it's fine. Everybody does say, you don't do that, but uh, technically you're allowed. Um, but if it's something heavy, let's say like a baby stroller, or let's say uh, your wife is... Not the baby itself. The baby is going to be a different story. Um, but the stroller, or you're trying to get it up the stairs or down the stairs, and you can't do it by yourself. Um, so one of you holds one end, one of you holds the other end. Like one of you holds the front, one of you holds the handle. So you can carry it that way. That's fine. Oh. What? Oh. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, same thing. Like uh, if your wife decides, you know what? Uh, we we oh, need to re- we need to rearrange the living room. Right? We got to move all the couches around. So. If you can't move the couch by yourself, and you need two people to move the couches, so one of you takes one end of the couch, one of you takes the other end of the couch, and you can move it. That's not a problem. Um, anything that's heavy, where you need basically two people to do it, um, that that's allowed as long as you're not like right next to each other. 
But we're getting there. We got a process. <laughs> I know everything. Everything's about the food. Okay. Every I know everything's about the food. We'll get there. We'll get to food. Now, but in terms of children, so if the baby is an infant, like a, like a, like mamish an infant, like just a couple months old. So then you can't pass the baby to each other. Okay. You can't. You have to put the, like, you know, she's sitting on the, the couch or whatever, so you put the baby next to her on the couch, you pick up the baby. If the baby's a little older, um, where if you, like, stick your arms out, the baby would stick his arms out. So then you can grab the baby that way. Because wow. ba- it's basically the baby's trying to transfer himself to you. The, the baby doesn't know what's going on. So then you're just essentially transferring an object between the two of you, 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 you and your wife. But if the baby is the one who basically is like initiating the, hey, pick me up, so then it, uh, that's more of an interaction between you and the baby and less between you and your wife. So that's, that's, uh, that, that's enough. Yeah. Um, Ashkenazim are stringent here. Um, they'll say, you know, put the baby down even then. Uh, but we're, we're not. Don't throw the baby. <laughs> Um, just a side point, a woman, if you have the Havdalah candle that you have to hold, as opposed to the one that a lot of people have now, you put it on the table and it just sits there. Um, if your, your, your wife can hold the Havdalah candle for you while you're making Havdalah, it's not a problem. Um, um, you could also hold open an umbrella for your wife, that's not a problem. Um, as long as it's a big enough umbrella that the two of you aren't like trying to crowd under a 30 inch umbrella. If you have one of those nice, you know, five foot wide golf umbrellas, that's a lot better. Um, now we get to eating, okay? Favorite part. I know, it's everyone's favorite part. So, when eating together, the, um, the husband and wife can't eat alone together at one table. Unless there's some type of heker, some type of uh, siman, or noticeable sign, indication, whatever word you want to use, to remind them that she's nidas, you can't share food, you can't share plates, or things like that. So, a number of things would work. There are people who say that some of these won't work, we'll go through them, the, the list in the, in, the, in the book, it's on page 33 for anyone who's following along with the book. Um, but, uh, for us, these are all fine. Um, Again, we'll go through them and see if some people want to be a little mockery with a few of them. So, it's anything that's not being used during the meal or something not normally placed at the table can be placed on the table. So, it could be something small like a ring or a key or something, you know, in between you. Right? You're, you're, if you're in your normal spot and you just put like a little key or something on the table, it's not normally there, so that's fine. There are some people who want to say that it should be something bigger and more noticeable and not like a little key or a ring or something like that. It has to be something of substance. I've not been given a clear guideline as to what something of substance or more substantive would be. Um, you know, I don't know if it's something baseball-sized or golf ball. I, I, I don't know. I can't give you a guideline there, but for us, it's fine. As long as even something small like that is enough. Um, also, you could use a mat or a tablecloth or a, like a placemat. So if you if you don't normally eat with placemats, and you use a placemat, so that's fine. Or let's say you normally have uh, blue placemats, right? When when you eat together, and now you're using purple placemats when she's nida, 
So you know the purple placemats are the Nita placemats. So that's fine also. Um, uh, or if you both normally use blue placemats, but now you, you use a blue one and she uses a purple one, or vice versa. So it doesn't look the same. That's also enough. Um, also, let's say you have a 10-foot table. And right? normally your wife sits right next to you, and uh, you know, now you're on one end of the table and she's the other end of the table. You need binoculars, but that's also fine. Um, if you change your normal spot, so let's say you sit at the head of the table and then you move to the center of the table, also fine. Um, if there's other people at the table, then it's not a problem at all, so you don't need any sort of hacker because um, generally speaking, uh, husband and wife aren't you know, touching and whatnot in public anyway. Um, so uh, th that's fine. Um, and also, let's say uh, you're not at the table. Right? I'm on a chair, and she's on the couch, or having a snack, something like that. You don't need to have, uh, you don't need to move the floor lamp in between the two of you. It's mama's when you're at the table, and that's it. Um, also, technically, a snack in general, a hacker's not required. Um, you know, if the, if you brought out, uh, you know, the meal's over, it's an hour later, and you bring out a couple slices of cake or something. And, uh, you know, you're just having a little snack or dessert. So technically, you wouldn't need a hacker for that. Is it the worst thing in the world to have one? No, it might be better. But it's not, you know, no lightning bolt's going to come after you if you don't put one down. Um, now, also can't eat from the same plate, um, but you can use the same serving platter. So you don't have to have, uh, you know, two serving platters of chicken and two serving platters of green beans. and what You can have the same platters. Um, you just can't eat directly from the platter or share a plate. You just have to scoop from the platter to your plate, and that, that's good enough. Um, however, let's say you have uh, uh, like a salt dish or something that you don't use when you make hamotzi. So you can, when you're breaking the bread for hamotzi, you can dip in the same salt dish. And even though the bread you're going to be eating directly, it's not going on your plate and you're cutting it or anything, you're just going to eat that directly. That's also, uh, that's okay. But not like hummus. Not like hummus or anything like that. Um, that just scoop it out of the container and put it on your plate. What about the salsa for the cheese? So get two separate bowls of salsa. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's really strict, huh? Yeah. Well, that's really strict. Okay. Um, now. Now let's go to leftovers. I, let's say... Uh, uh, you, tr you wanted to try a new bakery, you bought a new babka, you came home, you liked it, your wife took one bite of the cake and said, this is terrible and I refuse to eat it. So now there's a whole slice of cake there that's going to go to waste. So what do you do? Yeah. Uh, okay, eat it, I know. So Ashkenazim astringent, where and they say the husband is not allowed to drink or eat from his wife's leftovers. Like, just lo pluk. Um, there are leniencies, but... Meaning, we'll get there in a second. Sarim are, are lenient regarding food, they're stringent re regarding a drink. But even with drinks, you can be lenient if you poured it into another cup, or if she uh, only drank half the cup. Let's say you, you want to refill the cup. Let's say you know, she's drinking a glass of wine, and you know, she drank most of it, but there's some left, and you just decide, you know what, I'm going to refill it. But the wine is not Right. But I'm just saying in terms of 
examples here. Wine we'll get to in a second. But even there, once she's done with it, we're, we're, we're not going to be so, so crazy. As long as you, you know, if you fill it up, you're, cha- you're basically changing it. You're making it like a new glass of wine. So that, that's fine. Um, or let's say she left, right? She, uh, she finished, she left to, uh, to, to go to sleep, and you're still up for a little bit. Uh, is that the Shem learning or something? Um, you know, you can, uh, and she's not going to be eating it anymore, and you know she's not going to be eating it, so there, you could, you could, uh, you could drink it. Um, here, I think, I think Ashkenazi might even be lenient in some of these cases also. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm not entirely sure here. I'd have to, I'd have to, to, to check that. Um, in terms of food, so if, let's say, um, instead of being a, a piece of cake that she was eating with a fork or something, it was like an apple, let's say. She was, uh, you know, she was going for a Fuji apple and grabbed a Granny Smith. Right? So it was bitter, she didn't, wasn't expecting the bitter apple, or the, and uh, she took a bite, didn't like it, doesn't want it. So, the... Technically, yes, you could eat it because she's not going to eat anymore. And we said by by um, by eating leftover food, we're, we're lenient. But even there, if you in something that she directly bit, if you could easily cut off the place where she specifically bit from, so that's better. But if you didn't, again, you know, we're lenient here anyway. So if you didn't, no uh, no harm, no foul. Um, and. Also, a woman's permitted to eat or drink any of her husband's leftovers. This, is, this particular uh, uh, stringency is only on the husband, not the wife. So if the husband doesn't finish his uh, steak or something and the wife wants to finish it, no problem. He doesn't finish his, uh, uh, his bourbon, beer, or whatever. She wants to finish it, no problem. Um, there's no issues for her. Now, in terms of pouring drinks for each other, so Ashkenazim are stringent regarding pouring any drink. Water, tea, coffee. Um, by Persians, could be they should also be machmer by tea. And the reason is there's, there is an old Persian custom that a, a, a kala does not serve her, her khatan tea until they're officially engaged. That's a, like a siman that they're officially uh, engaged. So no, I, I, I learned this from the Gramazians. Um, so... Uh, they, they, when I when I was engaged, they, they made sure that my wife and I were actually, you know, when they were married at that point. Um, were we? I think we met them once when we were engaged. Pretty sure they told they, they wouldn't let they wouldn't let her serve me tea because I don't remember. I don't remember, but I remember that that's something they told me that they had an old Persian custom like that. So could be by Persians if that's a really meaningful thing. Um, you know, serving your husband tea or something, maybe uh, don't do that. But um, for any other drink other than wine, uh, we don't have a problem. So if you're sitting at the, the, the dinner table and uh, you, know, you, you want to refill your, your wife's, uh, she asks you to refill her, her cup of, of water or soda, whatever it is, it's not a problem. Um, now, but since wine is a problem, what's the issue that's going to come up with wine? At least once, yeah. Kiddush. Kiddush is going to come up at least once when she's midah, and often comes up twice. Um, so, regarding Kiddush, there's a couple ways to get around it. One, 
is you just put the cup down on the table. Instead of directly in front of her, just put it down in front of you. She can grab it and take the cup for Kiddush. It's fine. The other uh, way to do it is you place the cup on the table. And let's say your wife is the one who's pouring from the Kiddush cup into the, all the little cups uh, to send around the table. So uh, you could do that. You could then give her the cup because she's going to pour it into the other little cups. And then she could drink from, uh, you know, she can take for herself in the process. It's not a problem. Um, also, if the wine isn't yours, so then let, let's say you're a guest at someone's house, and they made kiddush, so then you can place the cup in front of your wife there because it's it's not your wine. Um, so the, 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 there's that. You can. Um, so the wine is so. I cannot pour, you know, I cannot pour like all these little cups and then give one to my wife. Huh? Uh. Not. not that. As long as she can pour the cups, um, or you could pour it into little cups, and she could just take one herself. Um, I just poured it. For, I just poured it for. You, you poured for six people at your table, right? Uh-huh. You don't know which one specifically for her, mm-hmm. so she could take one. I think that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you don't tell her specifically, yeah, I poured this one for you. There's more wine in there. No, or, uh, no nothing, nothing like that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just a theory. But you know those things that they came up with? This, they pour the wine and they come up to this cup. Yeah, they look. You know, this is one of the reasons why they came up with this. Could be. Uh, the thing when you pour the kiddush cup through when it comes down the the channels yeah. into the different cups. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're really nice. Um, I've seen them. Actually, the one. Yeah, the silver ones. They're nice. Very expensive, <laughs> but uh, but they're nice. Um, but yeah, that that would also same same idea. That would solve your problem because you're not specifically pouring for her. Just. Pouring it into, she takes whatever cup she wants. Um, uh, she can also serve her husband food. Um, yeah, she can. You know, she can make a plate. Uh, she can make you. You know, she comes out instead of putting everything on the table. Let's say she plates everything. You know, in the kitchen. Let's say she wants to, you know, plate each course because. Okay, I'm saying that that's what she does. Okay, she wants to do that. It's not obvious to everybody. Okay, she, whether she wants to, whether she does all the time, she decides. You know what? I want to be fancy and plate everybody's meal. I don't care what it is. She's allowed to do it and plate it and specifically make a plate for you, as opposed to putting seven plates on the table and you having to even take it for yourself. Even if one of you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um. Now, obviously, we said sleeping together in the same bed is a problem. Um, sitting together on the same couch is not a problem for us. By Ashkenazim, they're machmir if it's not something hard like a bench. But if it's a couch where you can like feel the other person's movement when they sit down and get up, Ashkenazim are machmir there. We're not machmir as long as you're not sitting, you know, as long as it's not a, you know, a, a, just an oversized chair that you're on top of each other, you can sit on opposite ends of the couch and it's not a problem. in the car? So oh, the, a, a car or a cab, so in that case, or on an airplane or something, where you know you're you're right next to each other and there's nothing to do, so in that situation, Rav Moshe has had her says she should put her purse in between you, like uh, in between your legs, as a as a chatzitza, basically. Um, so if you can if you can do that, that's that's the best. Um, so. Um, the, the, there's also, you're not allowed to sit on, um, you can't lie down or sit on your wife's bed when she's nida. 
Um, but that's only regarding to beds. So if she has a sp- only? only beds. So if she has a specific chair, right? There's uh, two nice chairs in the house, and uh, you know one's specifically yours, one's specifically hers, and you know which one's which. It's like her designated chair. You can still sit in the chair. That's fine. Um, or if she has a recliner, you know that, that's uh, that's hers or whatever. Um, that's also not a problem. The, the issue the issue is a ch- is a bed, specifically you know a mattress. Um, but anything else is fine. Um, uh, however, let's say you have to climb over the bed to get to something. All right. Uh, let's say to, in order to open the window, you have to climb over your wife's bed in order to reach the the blinds or whatever it is. So that's fine because you're not getting on the bed to sit there or sleep there or anything. You're just you're using it because it's there. Um, so that's fine. Um, and as long as uh, her. If she has exclusive pillows and blankets, you can't use those while she's nidam. But if she doesn't, like you just have, you know, two sets of blankets and two sets of pillows, and uh, you know when you wash the pillowcases, you don't know which pillows are which or which cases which or which blankets which. So that's not a problem. You can just use them interchangeably. Um, and again, you can't use the same blanket even if you're sitting on the couch. Right, you're not going to sleep. You're uh, uh, reading on Friday night or something on the you know on the same couch, so you can't share a you know an oversized blanket or anything like that. Um, okay. Um, now, in terms of travel, Ashkenazim or Mahmoud really to kind of prohibit traveling of almost any kind, unless it's, you know, a necessity. So if you have to go to a wedding, you have to go to something, you're uh, going to your in-law's house for Shabbat or whatever it is. So, that, uh, so then, you know, that, that is what it is. But it's not a, you know, it's not a tiyul. Um But let's say you want to go, uh, it's a nice spring day, you want to go to the park, you want to go to the flower garden, you want to go... Uh, Strawberry picking. I don't know what you want to do. Um, so you're allowed to sit next to each other. You're allowed to go do those things. Um, as long as your clothing doesn't touch, you're careful not to touch each other. Um, yeah, I was going to say you can't go on a um, you can't go on any kind of like leisurely trip. Uh, again, what do you do if they book the location the before? Okay, so uh, ask her up there. You know, we don't, have a we don't have a problem. I mean, again, you shouldn't be deal if you don't have to travel. But it happens. You know, you're going to Israel, and uh, she had an extra long period this time, and now you know she's going to have to go to the mikvah the first night of the trip. Right? Okay, so you get on the airplane and you go. Right? Um, you know, or, or again, it's a nice spring day. You want to go out to, you know. Uh, well, the, the the kids are uh, in school, so you want to take the morning to go uh, do who knows what. I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, again, if you don't, if you refrain from doing that, could it be better? Tabala Baracha? Maybe. It might be, you know. Again, the whole point here is, is to... We're, we're trying to not do things that would lead to something more problematic. Right. Right? Is there anything inherently wrong with taking a walk? 
Absolutely not. Is taking a you know a walk through her favorite museum, uh, you know, and, and doing all sorts of nice things while she's nida is that more problematic? Could be. You have to know yourself. You have to know your wife. You have to know your, your dynamic. Uh, a lot of these things are well. There are basic halachot and, and guidelines. You know, there's room for stringency and there's room for leniency in different areas. If you have a you know a real shyness as to what you can and can't do, or if you have an idea of something but you want to run it by somebody, so ask it, ask it to a posik, ask your of You know, it's. Uh, Is there any? I have an interesting question. Sure. Is there any different in Hanadot? Whether we're time she's a nida or shivanaki. So no, she, she, she's still a nida when I during shivanaki. Right. So we don't. Is there any different? The the only hanhaga that's different is during shivanaki. She has to do bidikot. Right. That, that's the only. That's the only difference. Um, you know, but even when she's nida, we'll get to this in a. Uh, I don't remember where it is in the book, but I'll just talk about it now. It, you know. You're allowed to buy your wife flowers, right? Yeah, I think it's the next page. I'll have one of the give right. presents to one another. Right, you can give presents to one another. You don't have to, you know, re- refrain from doing nice things and, and being doing normal husband and wife things when she's in the, the The idea here is that there's a, a mitzvah slash iser at play, right? But it doesn't mean your marriage is on hold for 12 days a month. Right, so be normal. It's a time. This is a time of the month where you know physical things are off the table. So you now have you know a built-in week and a half where you can work on more of your emotional connection and talking things out and you know, discussing things and 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 you know being together on that mental and emotional emotionally intimate level where the physical level is not a is not getting in the way of anything. It's not in the back of your head. So you, you can spend, you know, focus more energy on the mental and emotional here. So, uh, you know, if you buy your wife flowers every week for Shabbat, if she's need that, still buy her flowers. Should you buy her that $10,000 watch she's been wanting? No, right? That you shouldn't buy at all. Uh, well, yeah, that you shouldn't <laughs> should buy at all. But... Look, if you're, uh, but you, you know what? If you're, uh, you know, a, a, a if you're worth, you know, north of eight figures, I, you know, what? I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. But what I'm saying is that big expensive purchase you, you you've been saving towards, don't give it to her while she's need out, right? Give it to her when, when you know you, you can use it and celebrate it, and and, and you know. Moving to another country is better. Uh, uh, moving to another country for what? Oh, instead of buying a watch? Sure, you could no, move. <laughs> oh, no, don't. No. But. Uh, but I'm saying, but you, you can do normal things. Right? Technically, you can listen, you know, if your wife's. You know, singing or whatever, not a problem. You're sitting at the table and everybody's uh, singing Zemiro. Let her sing. Right? Again, if you want to be stringent here. You need to Oh, definitely, but whatever. I'll work it out.
Um, anyone who wants to go pray can go pray now. Um, but uh, um, yeah, again, if singing is going to make a problem for you, so then okay, don't sing, right? But you know, if everybody at the table you know is singing zimiro on Shabbat afternoon, let her sing, right? Not if you have company. Right? That, that's a different problem. But if it's just you at home by yourself, your, your kids, I'm just saying, who cares? Um, ideally, like we said, you know, she, you could uh, use the, the, she can hold the Havdalah candle for you. Ideally, she shouldn't hold the spices for you. You should pick them up yourself. Um, you can compliment your wife on how she's dressed. You know, you can say, hey, I like that dress. Is that new? You know, or it looks good, whatever. Compliments are not a problem and are beneficial. Um, um, you know, in terms of uh, pregnancy and, and birth, husband's technically also allowed in the delivery room if the wife wants him there. Um, you know, or if you want, or if you're not sure she's going to get appropriate medical care, you don't trust the doctor, whatever it is. Um, however, he's just not allowed to, you know, see the baby coming out. Um, in terms of bathing, um, not allowed to draw a bath for each other. You shouldn't do natila uh, yudayim for you know for each other. Um, technically, you could use your wife's towel. That's unsanitary. I wouldn't recommend it. But um, sharing towels is not specifically your wife. I'm just saying sharing towels is generally an unsanitary thing. So. But technically, you know, if you only had one towel, it's, it's, it's allowed. Um, and he's not, um, she's not allowed to prepare his bed for him in front of him, um, but she can prepare it when he's out of the room. Um, same thing for her, uh, for him, he's not, but he's not allowed to prepare it for her even if she's not in the room. Um, but this only applies to like, spreading the sheets on the bed. This doesn't apply to like the pillows and you know fluffing things and whatnot. It only applies really to the tirka of making the bed itself. Um, but, but you know putting No, no, I'm talking about like you wash the sheets. Oh you wash the sheets and you want to you're changing the you're putting them back on after they're out of the dryer. So um even if the wife's not in the room, the husband's not allowed to put the sheet on his wife's bed. The wife is allowed to put it on her husband's bed if he's not there. Um, but again, it's only in the like the fitted sheet itself. When it comes to you know putting pillows in a pillowcase and putting that on the bed, that's tedious. It's not. It's not a prohibition. Um, some Ashkenazim or Mahmir that a woman who's nida shouldn't go to shul or shouldn't look at a safer Torah or any type of safer. Um, as far as custom is not to be worried about this, a woman's allowed to go to shul whenever she wants. She's allowed to, uh, you know, pick up a safer, um, uh, you know, or, or you know, the you know, or whatever. Um, ideally, she shouldn't go to a cemetery, um, but that's not just a nida thing. That's like a all the time thing. If she's pregnant or this or that, like, there's bigger things at play here. Um, but even one who's nida, she has to pray, use her sidor, you know, recite berachot like she normally would. Just because she's nida doesn't mean that, you know, 
uh, all the other, uh, the, she doesn't have to, you know, make a bracha before she eats. It still applies. Um, if the husband's ill, say, he's, like, bedridden, not that he has a cold or, you know, a little headache, um, she, she can serve him and, you know, make him tea, coffee, or food, bring it to him or whatever that's allowed. Technically, she'd be allowed to, to touch him if necessary, um, but if you don't have to, then, then better. If she's ill, um, unless there's nobody around, then the uh, husband's not allowed to, to, to physically um, help her. Um, and, like, I had a, a case somebody asked me, um, they had a, a couple... Um, they were in the hospital, she just gave birth, the baby was in the NICU, and they wanted to go to the NICU to see the baby, but there was no one to push the wife in the wheelchair. And the wife had just given birth, you know, a few hours before, so she wasn't capable of really walking over there on her own um, to the NICU, but so they said, you know, the husband could push her. And so is that allowed? Is the husband allowed to push the wife in the wheelchair no to, to the NICU? There's no physical contact, but you're moving her to the MISA. So the uh, Nisan Karelitz says in this case that if there's no other way to do it, then it's fine because you're not specifically touching her. You're touching the you're, you're pushing the chair that she just happens to be sitting in. Um, so if there was no other option that would be allowed. But if you can get a nurse or an orderly or somebody to take her over there, that's better. Um, going to a doctor, ideally, um, I know this book says she's not allowed to use a male doctor. Um, it's an ideal. It's an ideal. He goes, uh, he goes up against it completely. Rabbi is very against it. And uh, the, the lake with the whole thing goes in the middle. Yeah, so it happens to be when is very not uh, Not every posik is. Um, Rav Naxon happens to be a very close Talmud of Ram David Yosef um, and knew Rav Avadia very well. So, um, I don't know, very well, but well enough. Um, uh, so, most of this book is based off Rabbi Vadi's Tower to Bayi. So Rabbi Vadi here is, is, is Machmer and says that, that a woman shouldn't use a male doctor. If at all possible, it's better. Right? Why go to a male doctor if you can go to a female doctor? Just like men, why go to a female you know, doctor if you can go to a male doctor? It's, it's an ideal. Um, but um, if it's not an option, or you know, she needs a specialist or something, and there's a complication, and you know, the, the specialist that you know the, the, to go to is is male. So we don't say, oh, you gotta you know go out of your way to find you know the, the female specialist or something like that when you have you know the specialist in town right in front of you. Um, so uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna say uh, I personally wouldn't be as as me here as 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 Rav Naxon says if. It's possible to use a female OB. It's an ideal, for sure. Um, but is it an absolute 100% obligation? I don't know if I would go that far. Um, now, regarding Yom Kippur Tishaba Av, um, uh, so having relations on Yom Kippur Tishaba Av is forbidden anyway. Uh, so if she's need, you know, need or not, it doesn't really matter. Um, but even if she's not Ida, you can't sleep in the same bed, um, even fully clothed. Um, this applies nighttime, daytime. Um, and on Yom Kippur, basically, mo- if you can observe all the harchakot, that's best. 
because Yom Kippur is a you know the right uh, fast and the the uh, mitzvah of Enoi of afflicting yourself. Um, so if it's possible to observe all these harchakot, it's better um, on Yom Kippur. Um, if you need to pass your wife something and you can't do it any other way, then you could do so. Ideally, only during the daytime, not nighttime. Um, but again, uh, you know. Um, and there's a leniency there. By by Tisha B'Av, though, the you don't have to observe all the harakot in Tisha B'Av, Hug, except hugging, kissing relations, right? And sleeping in the same bed, right? But you could pass something to your wife directly. Um, you know, technically, you could touch her. Also, it's better not to because you know it's a day of mourning and whatnot. But you know, if you did whatever. Um, Technically, it, it, it's not uh, an absolute obligation there in Tisha B'Av. Tavola uh, for anyone who doesn't. Um, but the only things that would officially apply in Tisha B'Av would be sleeping in the same bed, relations, hugging, kissing, and, you know, things like that are directly related to, to Chiba, to, yeah, what's the English word, Chiba, here? Um, to... Um, uh, affection. Affection, thank you. Um, anything that's affectionate um, would be a problem on uh, Tisha B'Av, um, and certainly uh, Yom Kippur. Um, but that's the basic guideline for Har If you uh, have any questions, I mean, there's uh, a even Polsky will deal with this um, all, the, you know, all the time. Uh, and again, use your seichel. Um, if you see something as a problem for you, so then don't do it. You know, but, uh, but on the flip side, if you see something's not a problem for you, but it is, you know, among the laws we talked about, that doesn't mean you don't have to do it. Um, but, you know, again, there's different levels and leniencies here. We talked about a lot of places where we could be lenient, maybe better you know, not to be, but you can get around a lot of different things. Um, but that, uh, in a nutshell, uh, after these three shurim, is our basic guideline to Tarat HaMishpacha. Any other uh, questions before we end? Good? Okay. Baruch Amen ve'amen.